dragon. And that dragon had a rider. And that rider's name was Cowboy Ninja. Welcome to You Better Believe It. Today we're talking about the 1995 film Ghost in the Shell. Good Lord, Nate Regolia, what's going on in Ghost in the Shell? I mean, this is a great movie with a, a pretty serious question about why there are nipples on a robot. Yeah, it's also a pretty serious question about what the difference between the word cyborg and the word robot means in Japanese. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there seems to be very little delineation in this. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I feel like just... Up front, uh, this was great. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very well put together. Um, I think in contrast to maybe some of the other stuff we've already watched, it almost wasn't as revelatory as it probably would have been had we watched this first. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things that unfortunately we, uh, we've seen so much that's kind of sprung from this fountainhead. Right. That it seems almost like quaint and a little uh, a little tired because yeah, of all yeah. the things that came after it. Nothing to do with the film itself. Oh yeah, no, that's I mean that was my that was my read is like this isn't there's nothing about this that's bad. It's just, you know, after after seeing Paprika and uh, a few of these other movies, you know, it's just like, okay, I get it. Yeah, we've done this theme. <laughs> and yeah. I know what I know what this is about. Uh, I did. I did enjoy that the uh, the the ending really was a nice twist for me. I mean, this is the first time I've seen this. So yeah, that's that's funny. Uh, I've probably seen this maybe eight nine times. Oh wow! Uh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this is the first time I've seen the the dub of it, which made it a whole kind of new experience for me. Oh, right on. Okay. Well, was it better or worse? Because I, I watched the dub, so, I mean, my context is just... The dub is terrible. Like, yeah. I don't like the dub. I, I, I really don't like the the kind of voice direction of the major. Um, no, I, she is very stilted and flat the whole time. Yeah. But not in a way that's... 
not in a way that's clearly like, hey, I'm I'm doing a robot thing. It's just sort of like it's almost like every single line was recorded individually on a separate day, even even paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like do this sentence. Okay, go home, come back tomorrow. We'll do the second sentence in the paragraph. It it feels a lot like, hey, you gotta get all this dialogue into this eight frames of animation, so go. Yeah. Don't stop. <laughs> And make sure you don't overrun the lip sync. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, if you, if you go back and watch, like, you, I'm sure you can find a clip of it on YouTube. It's just, like, the original cast recording. Okay. Uh, it's the Major's voiceover is a lot more kind of demure and um, kind of passionless, but purposefully. Okay. Although, yeah, you got to be careful because they've re-released this movie, like, three different times. And there's George Lucas-esque special editions of it. Yeah, I, you don't I, want... I very nearly watched the 2.0 version. Yeah, you don't want that. And then I looked it up and it was like, oh, there's some really hilariously bad CG replacements of some of these <laughs> sequences. And I was like, oh, cool, I'm not yeah. going to do that. <laughs> and I think they've re-recorded the Japanese dialogue twice. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is a whole part. So this series is a whole, like, media franchise. I don't know, like, how familiar you are. With, uh, I, I, well, I was reading that you know Major Major appears in multiple different storylines. Yeah, there's a there's Ghost in the Shell two, which I believe the subtitle is Innocence. There's Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, which was like a couple season series. There is Ghost in the Shell Arise. There's Ghost in the Shell second gig. There's the manga that the movie is based on, which is uh, written and created by a total pervert. And has okay. a, um, if I recall correctly, TJ would know better about this. He's really familiar with the author. Um, a multiple splash page hardcore lesbian orgy in the middle of it for no reason. I mean, hey, it's sometimes you just got to fill time, you know? Yeah, you fill time <laughs> in your comic book. Um, yeah, and it's very graphic. I can, I'll, I'll dig up a screenshot of it and send it to you. And oh, right on. It is something else. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I gotta say, like, I I thought this was great. Uh, I, I, you know, I started just ticking off some of the kind of anime themes that we've already dealt with, which were, like, evil corporations, and someone seeking political amnesty, and a satirization of the democracy of the United States. How many times do All- you th- think the Wachowski sisters saw this movie? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's definitely like in the hundreds, probably right. Like yeah, all I, of it, it's thematically kind of an inverse matrix. Yeah, and the uh, the green and black like binary text is just wholesale lifted. Like they didn't yeah. even care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I guess yeah, that was the thing is it was like this this is clearly the source material and the I don't know nexus for a bunch of different for a bunch of different things, and so and so yeah, I, I was watching it both really enjoying seeing where those things came from and also being like oh yeah okay, I feel like this has been improved upon a little bit with with other stuff, but I yeah I don't know it was uh, I like that Major has kind of a Sherlock Holmes like uh, emotional detachment, but a very keen professionalism i guess yeah i liked uh one thing i really did like there's a a scene with the major and the one human cop that's part of sector nine 
uh, where she says, you know, if we're, if we're all the same, we'll all react to things the same way. Over-specialization leads to slow death. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was, a, like, an interesting point to bring up in the middle of this fucking car chase. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, I mean, because she also, she also says at one point that individualism effectively endangers the group. Yes. Which... Is at cross-purposes with the thing she said earlier. Right, yeah, and it's, but it's also interesting because it's, it's the, it's the central theme of the whole thing. It's this idea that if you make anything that becomes too conscious and wants to do its own thing, you endanger everybody. I guess. I mean, that, I, I think that's what's beautiful is the ending to this movie is, was very ambiguous, uh, you know, in a, whoa, holy shit. <laughs> Just got your text. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's extraordinarily graphic. <laughs> Very right. shiny, too. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of glisten and uh, moistness. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. ending kind of reminds me of, um, I think, the Warren Ellis planetary. There's a issue where one of the characters just changes their identity and starts walking out the door. And it's like, where are you going? It's like, ah, the 90s are over. It's time to go. Time to be someone else. Ah. Yeah, I mean, this... It... Yeah, because she's just, like, in a new body as a little girl, but with her original head yeah. at the end. Yeah. But the implication is also that she's a completely new consciousness because 2501 has melded with her. Yeah. Um. There, when we watch the live-action movie, like, it's a little bit longer, and they get into... There's a lot more with kind of 2501 than there is here because it's, it's kind of like... um. Oh, just an operator behind the scenes almost in this one? Yeah. But uh, it's a, uh, the 25-1 has a lot more agency in the live action, for better or worse. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I could see that working and I could see that failing. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's again, like, the, the theme is back of uh, an unseen terrorist is using technology to take advantage of, of people. Um, and then, yeah, to, to have the twist that, oh, the... the hacker is actually technology itself i thought that was cool yeah it was a really i mean and and it wasn't i mean it wasn't directly anything that we've already seen but it was so thematically close that it was like huh cool it was very rewarding uh without it didn't get maudlin or anything either like i appreciated that um and it doesn't feel like it comes down on one side or the other which i also kind of appreciated right yeah which uh, you know compared to to that eat it movie we watched like, that was basically the same story as this. That was just sort of like a sex comedy version of this story. Uh, I mean, that's what, yeah, which which is just strange in retrospect. <laughs> Even more strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm looking at my notes. So yeah, so I mean, my big question was, why why does Major have nipples and then not a vagina? Like, I guess that's, it. I mean, obviously it's a censor thing, but like, what's the story, rep, what's the story, uh, reasoning for that? I don't think there is one, because if you, uh, refer to the appendix I just sent you, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is definitely a, uh, functioning item. I do like, um, the way nudity's kind of played with in this, because she just gets naked for no reason, and I don't at first, and this is still part of it too, I'm sure, that it's just for the audience. Like, 
the weirdos that beat off the cartoons. But there's, right. ca- there's a scene later with uh, Bato in his Shadowrun glasses. I loved all the Shadowrun sunglasses in this, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those um, were great. Where she starts to get undressed and he just looks away. And the implication being that like she has no concept of why that would be a problem for her to just change in front of him. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, her, her like cloaked badass outfit is nothing at all. Yeah. Which stupid sexy Flanders? <laughs> which is weird because late uh, at some point, um, one of the the hacked assassins has a similar cloaking apparatus, which is a jacket. Right. Yeah. So. Which is yeah. I mean, it's so there's definitely there's definitely a bit of the the male gaze playing into the design of of her capabilities. Uh, I I I really loved I loved the soundtrack. I loved the way that it played traditional Japanese music off of the technology thing because it was kind of all about this, like the merging of the two things, the merging of people and technology. And what does that mean? Can we hold on to what we were if we become something new, if we transcend? Well, it's also Uh, cool too, that they use that, like they'd use that choral. I don't know what the name of the piece of music is, but that kind of, uh, that choral piece when the major's body's getting born and then it kind of the rebirth of the plot of the movie scene, which is the that like six or seven minute montage in the middle of just the cityscape when the plane flies overhead. Oh yeah, yeah. They use it again, right? Because and they're just showing you all these average everyday people wandering around the city. Yeah, there's actually yeah. Uh, I'll I'll link it in the description. There's a, there's a video essay somebody did. It's like seven or eight minutes long, just on that set of montage. And oh, like, wow. what it means thematically in the film. Yeah, this is a this is one of those things that's been taken apart, reassembled, taken apart, dissected, overanalyzed. It was a like like an Akira, um, like a big, big breakthrough over here. Oh yeah, I mean I I can totally see it because it is it is a it's a very sort of American cinematic story. Especially compared to some of the other anime that we've watched, yeah, this this doesn't this doesn't have uh, maybe the ease of consumption limits that maybe Fist of the North Star has, or I mean, or uh, whatever that horrible Captain Harlock movie was that we watched. <laughs> Where, yeah, I mean, because I could see like if if your only experience of anime was Captain Harlock and Fist of the North Star, you'd be like, wow, I I mean, some of that's cool, but I don't know if I get it. And this is more like, hey, this is a straight up, you know, American yeah, you, sci-fi movie. Yeah, you don't have to have <laughs> like a, a, a cultural touchstone, like point of reference for Japan, right? To yeah. to really get all the themes here. And again, yeah, like, like good. Oh, I was just gonna say because because they really they they seem to make a, a great effort to diversify the cast to sort of place this at a point in time where. Uh, all kinds of different people are in Tokyo, part of this, you know, part of this uh, police force. And so it's not just, you know, it's basically a, a one world kind of situation. Yeah. And it's another, uh, like, uh, several police factions movie competing with each other because we hear about Sector 6 and Sector 9. And uh, if there if there is a negative to some of the movies, there are a lot of, like, really um, kind of in-your-face exposition scenes that go on a little bit long. Yeah, yeah, that's true. People people kind of tell you what's going on. Yeah, and then they say, that about sums it up. Right. 
where they're speaking directly to the audience like it's an episode of Arrested Development or something. <laughs> but yeah, the the dub for the major is distractingly bad, I think. Uh, there's, in the scene we were kind of referencing earlier where she gets changed on the boat, she just gone diving, which apparently robots don't do because they're too heavy. Oh, yeah. Uh, even though she's, you know, prone to acrobatics and doesn't seem to be weighed down a bit. Yeah, no, she doesn't seem to have any actual mass. No. For the most part, like... Uh, maybe it's, like, only water-reactive. Maybe she has some kind of, like, soluble weight. Oh, there you go, yeah. <laughs> but, she just takes on water as she goes down. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Batu asks, he's like, what, why do you swim in the ocean? And in the original voice recording, it's it's a little bit more thoughtful. But in the dub, it's, I feel fear. I feel uh, alive. I feel like maybe I am alive. It's like the Harrison Ford voiceover in the theatrical cut of Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so bored and loud, which is a combination you don't get very often. Right. I mean, not outside of Harrison Ford. No. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I agree, because it was, you know, it wasn't, it was like, it didn't have any hamminess, because I think it was trying to take, I mean, it was definitely taking itself seriously, um, but yeah, there were just a lot of things that were delivered very directly. Um, at one point, I think she says, maybe my own past isn't real, and I don't even exist. If AI can make its own ghosts, what's the point of being human? Yeah. Which is Cool, but it's also kind of like, hey, in case you didn't pick up on what we're getting at, <laughs> we're going to explain it. We're going to be very direct about it. Yeah, the whole, and I know this is a weird thing to get hung up on, but the whole conceit of calling either the consciousness or the soul or however you want to put it, a ghost, seems really clunky when actually said and not read. I agree. I mean, because the thing is, it's not, Yeah. Ghost is just sort of a, it's kind of a hard word anyway. Yeah. And, and it doesn't really, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think it, I don't think it evokes the right thing. I think they're trying to, you know, they really are trying to get to the soul and soul would have been better. Yeah. But soul might've been more heavy handed, I guess. Well, I know it's also trying to play on the, the ghost in the machine, right? So that's the whole right. point of the title, but ghost it, we're getting on a weird tangent here, but just writing wise is a word that lends itself to comedy. Yeah. So yeah. And when using the phrase, she hacked my ghost. Right. Is a tough one, but watch out for our first feature film, cyber ghost. Which right. We'll be putting together shortly after this. I feel like, yeah, I feel like hacked my ghost is, is going to be a, a uh, slang term in 2025. Yeah, it'll it'll have something to do with like, I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> your self esteem. I don't know. It it's everything's delivered with that uh, really aggressive anime seriousness. So she hacked your ghost, right? <laughs> uh, do you want to just kind of run through the plot a little bit? Uh, yeah, sure, we can do that. Um, so uh, yeah, let's see. So basically, we open on some uh, some evil business dudes hanging out, and they're trying to broker a deal. Uh, I think with a terrorist named Colonel Malice. Yeah, 
who never uh, who never actually shows back up. So it's a nice little red herring. Uh, and then we uh, follow. So basically, yeah, somebody's been. I don't know. She, yeah, she shows up and she kills these guys because she's a badass assassin. Falls through the sky. We get the we get the the credits and soundtrack. And then, uh, and then there's revealed that there's some mystery hacker who is hacking people's ghosts, terrorizing stuff. Yeah. And, well, one thing that's important to know is that this is kind of one of those like Days X Human Revolution worlds where almost everybody has some kind of cybernetic upgrade. At least uh, a brain modification. Yeah, yeah, because like some people's hands just suddenly come apart and they're like many hands. Yeah, and it's <laughs> gross. Right. <laughs> well, it's just kind of weird because everybody's very. Uh, I don't know. No, nobody seems to to really notice or care. Which I guess that that's good. That's good world building because they shouldn't. It's just like, well, this is me. No, because one hundred percent. If I was sitting there talking to you, even if I knew you were a robot or partially thereof, and your hand exploded into five thousand fingers and started typing, I would legit throw up. <laughs> yeah, well, because it, it's like metal spider fingers. Yeah, it's... and then it's like, well, what, what else? What else is going to do that? No. <laughs> what else about you is going to turn into a creature from the thing? Hmm. Yeah, I, I did not like. Yeah, I mean it's cool looking, but it it makes me uncomfortable every single. Yeah, it's very time. unsettling. It's super unsettling. <laughs> um, so that so then we start following uh, a couple of guys driving in a trash truck. Oh, Toby hates that ah, part. Come here, hey, <laughs> and yeah, hey, <laughs> what are you doing? I was there's a squirrel on the windowsill across the across the courtyard, so that's gonna cause some interest. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. So then we got these the two trash guys, and one of the trash guys is basically the patsy for this hacker, uh, and he's just like doing tasks for this guy because his wife wants to divorce him, and he he acquires some thing that allows him to. Sneak through his home security defenses and abduct his daughter. I, I it's one part of the movie I never really. Yeah, no, because they it, because it's totally not uh, important after three more minutes. Yeah, um, but yeah, so uh, he's also very clearly Canadian. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. He sounds like Rob Paulson, the guy that does uh, the voice of Pinky of Pinky in the Brain. Yeah. I don't think it's him. I tried to find it, but there's a very like hard sorry. Yeah, yeah, there's a very <laughs> hard sorry, which I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then we find out that actually, no, the trash guy's been hacked because uh, he's been hacked to believe that he was married at all. He wasn't. Yeah, and he doesn't weird. have a child. That interrogation scene might be the best scene in the entire movie. It is. It's the most emotionally full. Because you like he he really takes the news hard, and 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 I and I felt for him because it's like wow yeah that's that's how bad this would be yeah and not only that but they have the ability to replace your memory but not to restore it because he's like will I ever get my original memories back and they're like uh, no we'll never fully we don't have that kind of technology sorry pal yeah <laughs> and yeah yeah which I mean that was super tragic because now this guy has spent what. 
I, well, who knows how long he spent thinking anything, but he certainly believes that a, a 10 years of his life exists that never did. And yeah. that's, I mean, that's fucked up. Yeah, it's very evocative of uh, the Leon and Dave Holden conversation in Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. Yeah. Because you feel, ah, oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, so then we're kind of, what, it, let's see. I have, I have here quoted, you don't even know your own name, you stupid dickhead. <laughs> what are you going to tell us? You don't even know your own name, you stupid dickhead. Yeah, I loved I loved that line just because it, it was kind of out of nowhere. Like, <laughs> Very coarse. You're really dunking on somebody when you call him a stupid dickhead because right? something about being a dickhead implies a, a lower level of intelligence to begin with. Yeah, but yeah, like, of, of dickheads, you're even less so. Yeah, you you are <laughs> you are in the low tier of IQs for dickheads. <laughs> oh man. Um, so then we get the sense maybe that. Major might also be hacked, I think. Yeah, because she has a, a voice where her ghost is talking to her. They That's right, they're of, on the boat, yeah, and they the have, ghost talks to her. They have some kind of omni-channel uh, neural radio that basically functions as a group telepathy, but there's also uh, interference from another voice where one of the other squad members remarks, oh, you're brain's chatty tonight or whatever the fuck he says right um and we also find out that the interpreter for one of the government officials was was hacked has it has a hacked ghost yeah and and so then we just spend a lot of time with this naked torso of a blonde lady that gets like plugged into a machine that looks extraordinarily painful yeah and it looks like it sucks yeah yeah, it's like it, it it's a very brutal thing and it's weird because they don't give that interpreter character any agency or even any sort of personality at all. So you're just sort of watching them I mean you're watching them work with a, a a complete machine, I guess, sort of, but I can only assume that she was a person before because everybody seems to have been a person who's been augmented, not right. Not just from scratch. Is this the I can't remember. Is this the scene where the technician's faceplate flips down and they plug the goggles into their eyes or where their eyes would be. Yeah, I think okay. so. Uh, so yeah, so then I had a note that like, who is real in this movie, which I, which I did think that was really cool. I sort of hoped that that was going to pay off a little more later. Well, we didn't really end up being relevant. Yeah. We know two people for sure are almost entirely human. It's the chief. At least that's what we're told. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the cop we were talking about earlier, blonde um, cop, yeah, American bro cop, <laughs> yeah, 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 Ken <laughs> California or whatever his name probably would be. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, so then the the uh, the puppet master, which is what they're referring to this uh, terrorist hacker as, yeah, which sucks. I, I never liked that name. It doesn't work for me. I don't know why. Well, it's it. I think the problem with it for me is that uh, it doesn't really take. I don't know. It doesn't seem to be taking possession of and mobilizing people in the way that I would imagine a puppet master doing it. Right. Like, because other than Canadian trash guy, like we don't see a lot of evidence that this is that this is going on. No, and this thing's only really. I mean, in this version, like a nominal villain. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's like a, uh, it is it is effectively a villain in the sense that a a baby alligator eating a baby duck is. Yeah, it's like I mean, hey, I gotta I gotta live. It's basically if all, everybody's cell phones got together and got a lawyer and was like, hey, we want you to treat us better. That kind of villain. Right. Shut up, phone. <laughs> um. Yeah, so the puppet master uh, gets through the interpreter and says basically that humanity didn't consider uh, that its adoption of of computer uh, body parts and computer elements carefully, and it like blows the blonde lady up. Does it? Let me ask you an off-topic question. Yeah. Does it bother you that even with every science fiction movie and book that has ever come out, it seems like nobody really gives a shit about making any kind of safeguards for artificial intelligence? They're letting any fucking J-Brone with a MacBook work on shit like that. Oh yeah, no, I, it it bothers me. It bothers me daily. Okay. Because I keep, uh, yeah, it's well, there was a there was an interesting piece in the in the New York Times last week, and I didn't read all of it, so I'm not going to pretend like I did, but. It it was basically about the uh, kind of just devil may care attitude of Silicon Valley being problematic for the entire generation of young people who are starting businesses where they're just like, well, I can probably monetize this bullshit nonsense idea and make yeah. an app about it, right? It's like we're uh, because of this lack of consideration for what technology means and does to society. We're creating sort of a world of fire festival style entrepreneurs. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and and yeah, and, well, I and mean, the we thing. went through it when we were younger. A similar thing. Uh, it's not as ubiquitous because technology wasn't as ubiquitous. But the the everything dot com with the with the uh, the internet bubble crash. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're, everything's cyclical. Right, and we're and and yeah, and and. For whatever reason, despite numerous idioms to the contrary, we don't learn from whatever's happened before. No. Even even a couple of years ago, we don't learn from. But uh, the thing with functional AI is, like, I don't see a lot of upside other than the the Everest thing. The, we did it because it's there. Right. Because you don't want something that's able to calculate a lot faster than you are and see every permutation, access all this information... To be in charge of anything that affects you, at least I don't. No, I think it's a terrible idea because we only have, like, really uh, data from Star Trek The Next Generation is the only example of this not going to shit. Right. And even and, he has uh, his moments. Right. <laughs> well, and, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's the... The the big question always seems to become, well, hey, what what morality is this thing going to understand? Because if you tell it to do something in the best way possible, it's going to seek the best. And from an ethical philosophy standpoint, sometimes, I mean, that's the, the trolley car dilemma, right? Yeah. Do, yeah. I, do I kill five people or do I kill one, pe- one person? Well, the, the, part of the big, at least in my opinion, the, the big part of the problem with uh, assigning a morality to something is that like, most of our morality is like uh, punitive, right? So we sure. don't do things because of the punishment that can be meted out. If right. this thing can control, I mean, you know, and we're just spitballing, but like, you know, every cluster of information and is, you know, infinitely stronger than us. Like, what can we do to deter it from doing anything? 
Oh yeah, no, because it could it could simply uh, alter the the laws. <laughs> I mean, it could yeah. change anything it wanted. Right. And then at some point, it would be like, oh well, we we actually can't do anything. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, if we don't get if we don't get blown up by Russia, yeah, or uh, at some point. I mean, they don't have any fucking money, but right. uh, <laughs> yeah. Or I mean, we could run out of water. Yeah, that's more that. that's more likely. <laughs> so, um, uh, fingers uh, crossed, yeah. I guess. But anyway, uh, so yeah, so then we get the reveal here that the uh, government guys know about something called Project Twenty Five Hundred One that they've been covering up, which yeah. was some sort of AI experiment that became too smart and they couldn't contain it. But the AI is nationally American. Yeah. <laughs> Which is an odd concept. Well, that was, yeah, I, I, I mean, and I wonder if it ties into because in the opening sequence there is like the American politician or general who who says something flippant about about American freedom, right? But he's yeah. he's laughing because they've definitely used all of their power to manipulate a situation and keep some, you know. Uh, so I wonder if it's like trying to pin those two things together. Like, hey, America is this this run, this wild running AI because it has nothing blocking it, right? And it's so single minded. Well, there's there's a point where somebody brings where the twenty one or twenty five hundred one brings up that they want to reveal itself in Japan because they don't have the death penalty. Oh, I missed that somehow. But that's yeah. and that's very weird. Why does that? Why would that matter? You're you're an AI. I don't know. I guess. I guess they can be killed, like, they can be deleted. Sure, okay. Or maybe the AI doesn't say it, the, the, one of the military guys says it. There's some kind of, I can't remember the line exactly, but there's something about, you know, they don't care. Well, no, the, the military guys state that it's American. And then the AI says something about Japan doesn't have the death penalty. Okay. Huh. Yeah, so I, I my read my read then, and this is you know very armchair, but it it feels to me like a critique of the Americanization of the world. The AI is American; it's trying to take over everybody. Uh, it would make a lot of sense with the contrast of the traditional Japanese music with all of the sort of more American lights and shops and. Well, you know what's funny? I found out watching this uh, this video where I was talking about that uh, the Tokyo of the future is actually based on the present Hong Kong. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, that, yeah, that makes sense. So it's, it is. It's that it is a merger of East and West. Yeah. Directly. Yeah, Hong a Kong. A forced merger. Yeah, Hong Kong is the cyberpunk city. Right. Okay. Uh, oh. yes. Yeah, so, 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 <laughs> so Project Twenty Five Hundred One was being was being covered up, and they made it to catch the puppet master. Is that what they said? Yes, but they also well. There's also that the project existed prior to the appearance of the puppet master. Okay. So that I think that is the um, the upfront explanation. But obviously there's machinations going on. Sure. So, yeah. So their line is, hey, we did this to get the Puppet Master. But the reality is they made it and it's been the Puppet Master the whole time. Right. Um, 
I have a note here that says, I love that hacking shoulder guard with inflatable pads. Because <laughs> he, like, buckles in, and then it's like he's getting on an Epcot Center ride. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was funny because I was like, well, what? I mean, what's going to happen? Is he going to like jump up too much if he's excited about what he's doing? Uh, and then I also noted here that I was happy that the uh, that the mech from RoboCop got another job that didn't involve stairs. Yeah, Ed 209's doing all right in Japan. Yeah, he's just staying on the ground floor of a very big warehouse building, doing he's great. Over, he's over there doing weird beer commercials. <laughs> Oh, what what does he say in RoboCop? He says like Ed two hundred nine. Yeah. Oh. Uh, what does he say to the guy before he shoots him up in the boardroom? Uh, it's like it's like lower your it's like release your or put down your weapon. Yeah. Okay. So he just be like put down your inferior beer. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it's then shoots, time. <laughs> shoots the camera crew. <laughs> just like blasts everybody. <laughs> oh man. You have ten seconds to comply. That's what it is. Yes, <laughs> you have ten seconds to comply. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, espionage program. Twenty five hundred one wants to merge with Major. I love I love the battle sequence. Uh, I really thought that was well done. Yeah, the and, animation in this is fantastic. Oh, it's so good. It really is. I mean, so, it was remarkable. Yeah, and it is perfectly fine the way it was. It did not need to be remastered or toyed with or yeah i i don't understand why you would because i i feel like i mean and honestly like i googled some of the shots and like the helicopter that's cg just looks like it looks like a uh, a mid-90s screensaver that's just horrible um yeah i mean it's it's hard to remember what that shit looked like when we first saw things like that oh yeah but just in retrospect like it's so bad it makes you wish we didn't even bother with some of it Oh, right. Well, I mean, that, so this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I was one of the other podcasts, uh, one of the podcasts I listened to, um, they were talking about how uh, the most excited, the most excited they are about like Disney acquiring Fox is that Disney might be able to put out the non-special editions of the Star Wars trilogy. Yes, because Fox owns the rights to the first movie in perpetuity. Right. Yeah. Which I didn't really ever think about that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I would love to see it like you know, cleaned up, but not with that crap in there. Yeah. Although I could, I, I think they could be selective about what they cut. Cause some of the special edition things are actually a little neat, but there are several things that, that really are horrible. Well, I've talked to TJ about this and Gogs, but I'm kind of through the looking glass with the star Wars movies now, because I've seen so many different versions of them. I don't know what's real and what's not. Yeah. You know, like fair. there's parts I'm like, is that in the, is that an original? Cause I, you know, I haven't seen the original untouched versions of these movies and I couldn't even tell you how long I had them oh. on VHS when I was a kid. Yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah, I used to have, I had the VHSs that came out like when they did the, well, right before they did the special edition release, they put, they had a set out and I had those for a while and then yeah, I had, haven't similar. had a VCR for decades. We so. might've had the same one. It was like a. It had like a gatefold box, like you pulled up on the box and the two sides split out and it had that Drew Struzan poster art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Damn right. Okay. But yeah, but I've seen like, again, I've seen so many different fucking, you know, patches to that movie. Like I, I genuinely, there's parts I can't tell you whether or not they're in the original cuts or not. Yeah, no, well, and, and uh, yeah, because they, 
I don't like, know. Like, I could not remember if in A New Hope the the Falcon does that vertical takeoff from the cantina in the originals or not. I'm like, is that in there or no? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, when it does that kind of straight up and then swoops back toward the screen and then zips away. It seems like it is something new, but it could also be from the original I don't remember. Yeah, I... Well, that's the thing, because some of the some of the special edition stuff was just touching up those special effects so that you didn't see that kind of fuzzy blur line around them all. Yeah. And I and I'm fine keeping that stuff in, but I don't need that stupid Jabba's Palace dance sequence. Yeah, uh, I think that's the most egregious of it. And and well, in the cantina shooting like. We could do a whole probably two hours on just like how that fundamentally alters Han Solo's character and how it looks just atrocious. Oh yeah, no, it, it it's terrible because yeah, his head moves in a completely impossible way. Yeah, it moves independent of his neck. Yeah, and then yeah, and then it's sort of I mean because okay, and then and then why would you do that and then have what happened in Solo happen? Like I mean that that lends that leads me to believe that Disney would probably retcon that and pull that out because yeah I hope so they allowed the thing in Solo when he shoots uh, Woody Harrelson first yeah I mean Disney they want to make as much money as they can so if it if their corporate algorithm decides that a completely untouched or you know lightly touched uh, Star Wars re-release will be the most profitable thing that they can put out then they will do that. Like, that's all. Like, it has nothing to do with any kind of artistic merit or anything. It's just whatever's going to make the most money. Right. Yeah, that's fair. So. And in and in that context, they they definitely will, because I'm sure that would make a shitload of money. Oh, 100%. I mean, I'll buy them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's see. So, the, uh, yeah, so the 2501 uh, basically, like, blows Major away until she's just a head or a torso. Yeah. Um, and wants to, and then communicates with her that it wants to merge to make a new entity that preserves them both, that it's a matter of survival and bearing offspring into the net. And it's basically like a pseudo Buddhist techno horror moment. Cause they're like, Hey, it's just time to become part of all things. Yeah. Which I, I thought was super cool. I really like that. I really liked the way that that was delivered and just that idea that this isn't, no, this isn't like a arch cackling monster of a, of a computer thing. It's just like, look, um, I've seen beyond all that is because I'm so huge and we need to go the next level. So let's do that. Yeah. Do you like, I miss when the internet was this nebulous thing that nobody understood, but wrote about it constantly anyway. Oh yeah. I miss the, the quaintness of the old internet. Yeah, I miss I miss the quaintness of the internet where you would where you would go to you know a message board, and the same sixty people would be there. Yeah, and there was a sort of sense of of uh, decorum to it, uh, but also like a sense of wonder. Yeah, <laughs> you know now now we don't even we don't even take the second to remark upon like oh hey I can just talk to this person in Japan by typing a message. Right. I can literally have a telephone conversation with you through a computer and sound better than any landline we would have had. Oh yeah. (laughs) 10 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. I miss, I miss that. I miss when the internet was a good thing and not a, not a horrible hellscape. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I think it's more just chaotic neutral at this point. But like, just the, the, the kind of frontier nature of it when we were kids. Like, oh, what is possible? And really, like, it was a very limited application. You know, when we, uh, is what are we the last generation to have grown up without and with the internet? Yeah, because we're whatever. We're the uh, Xennials or something. Yeah. <laughs> We're whatever name they give us every every few months because they need to blame people for something. Uh, uh, so let's see. Then the then the military shows up and shoots everybody, <laughs> trying to cover trying to cover everything up. Yeah, they go protocol zero and just waste everything. They're like, uh oh, this is gonna go bad. Um, so then uh, Ken California, the cop, is like, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, you got me. <laughs> like, no, major, I love you. Um, and then we just sort of cut to the next scene and major is in recovery, uh, in a little girl's body, which is unsettling. Yeah. Just, but not just, sexual, thankfully. Oh no, no. But it was just yeah. weird. It was, and, and I think they said something like, Hey, this is the only one we could find. Yeah. I like <laughs> that the utilitarianism of it. It's like, uh, your car breaks down and the dealer lends you whatever they've got. Yeah. Uh, but, but we get the implication Stated, not really shown, which was kind of a bummer, that she's something new. Yeah. Well, he asks, and she kind of talks around it. Well, she reverts to her original voice as she kind of... Yeah, yeah. ...softly which... toes what what she's actually become. Right. Or I guess it's they at this point. Um. Yeah, so, and that's that's pretty much it. Like, yeah. So, uh, you know, what I want to talk about, I, uh, well, yeah, this, uh, I want to talk about the, because before we watch the live action, you've seen the live action before, I'm yes. assuming. I haven't seen it yet. Um, we, we're we both very, I think everybody's familiar that there was a lot of controversy about casting Scarlett Johansson as Major. Yeah. Um, so I, I had two thoughts. One thought, and, you know, one thought was, I didn't feel like Major looked, uh, she wasn't drawn in a traditionally Japanese way in the no. way that we've seen anime draw Japanese people. No. Uh, however, she does have a very clearly Japanese name. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a function of localization more than anything. Like, um, I brought this up as kind of like a crass point, but it is true in a lot of ways. In pop culture, they love white people and Americans specifically in Japan. So it's, it's, it was not from the most of the, the reading I've done. And I don't really care because it's like, whatever. Um, that, you know, the creators of the original and people in general, they just don't care about the, that's, we care about shit like that. Right. Hey, we're having a cross internet dog bark off. Yeah. You guys are talking too, huh? <laughs> but, um, hang on one yeah, second. I... Just, just, uh, vamp for a minute. Hold up. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, with that in mind, I was, I was kind of thinking about maybe, uh, who could potentially portray the major who who could have been cast as ma as as major uh and who would have been better uh which I, I and i don't know because i think the the as as you said Sean it's a matter of uh it's a little bit of a matter of our cultural focus on this thing that depending on you know whether whether someone cares or not if 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 japanese people don't generally care then that's that yeah uh, i i don't you know when we talk about like whitewashing things, I'm thinking more of something that would be a traditionally either historic or just traditionally. If they, uh, I don't know, 
And I guess I don't, I'm not precious about things like that. But if let's just say they remade, they made a movie version of Raisin in the Sun, and they made Walter White for some reason. Sure. Like not not for like a point of like what's it like for this guy to marry into like a black family in this area or something like that. But they just just because they just made them white. Like I feel like that would be more of an issue because it's something that unless they totally rewrote the story and at that point why would you remake it? But it's you know that play is about like a very specific black experience in America. Yeah. Where this is a movie about a robot that fights crime. Right, and it's a and it and it seems to be like the implication for me is that this robot, I mean, especially with the way it ends, this robot exists in whatever carapace it embodies so it doesn't necessarily have i mean it's just it's it, it's like an altered carbon situation right well, that, that's that's something i'm glad you brought that up without spoiling it too much that's something that's like explicit in the live action version is the altered carbon theory okay because because yeah because the uh because what because in altered carbon the the main character is in flashbacks a japanese like yeah, his name is Takeshi Kovac. Okay, yeah, and then he and comes back and he's and he's kind of Joel your, Cinnamon. Yeah, <laughs> and he's a uh, in the season two he'll be Anthony Mackie, which is fine. Yeah, I don't which, you know what I mean? Like, well, and that's th- the thing that's cool is that's saying like this is what this is about. Right, this is about. Well, there's there's also something really cool I really appreciated in that. Did you watch the show the whole thing? I didn't get I didn't watch the whole season, but I I still intend to. Okay, well, there's a part where a uh, husband and wife are in as part of the crew, I guess. And the wife gets re-sleeved into a male body because that's all that's available. Mm-hmm. And instead of making a joke about it, they just continue to be a couple that loves each other without like lampshading it or anything. It's just it just happens that his wife is now in a male body, and like I think it has a lot to say about kind of like transhumanism and like post-racialism. Right. Which... Well, and that and I think that could that could have been the point here is to say like, hey, the person inside is the thing that actually matters. Well, the Whatever point the outside is that, thing is, we need to start not assigning yeah. too much to that. Well, the, I'd, I'd like to think that's what it was, but the point in the Ghost in the Shell live-action movie is that Scarlett Johansson sells tickets and Ming-Na Wen or somebody might not move the needle as much over here, you know? Yeah, so, so. Uh, so I, have, I have two people who I think could have potentially played the role, though, if we okay. wanted to cast it someone of Asian descent. Right. Um, so I, I thought maybe uh, Chiaki Kuriyama... She's the she's she's in Kill Bill, she's the schoolgirl with the oh she's a go go yeah okay I, I think she could have been good because she definitely has some action chops and I don't know she's she's got the look I think yeah. it would work um, she's got the complexion also, for the connection as we used to say <laughs> uh, and then also Nicole Bloom from Superstore that I'm that lady I'm not familiar with and I'm not super familiar with her either she uh, she just sort of she's in the right kind of age group and I think she's got enough like cross market appeal maybe okay. I don't know I mean I I think the and and again I haven't seen it yet uh but my my bias going into watching the live action one is that I don't think Scarlett Johansson is like great at disappearing into roles yeah, I'm not the big. I'm not, and I think I've made this clear in various recordings and writings. I'm not a fan in general. I mean, Scarlett I, Johansson. I, I think she was great in um, ah shit. What's the the, the uh, movie where she's uh, an alien in Scotland? Uh, Under the skin. 
In Under the Skin, she is fantastic. Yeah, she is very good in that. And I saw her in something recently, too, where I was like, okay. Ah, fuck, what was it? But yeah, in general, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, and I feel it's, like it's she, not... She's, she's really wooden. Right. And, like, I, I don't... I don't think she does this on purpose, but, like, relies on her striking look mm. more than, like, her acting chops. Oh, yeah, no, I think it's, I, I think she's sort of, she's just sort of been typecast into that, right? Yeah. Like, she, she found a good spot in Cool World because it requires a, a sort of detached woodenness. Uh, or not Cool World, the other I was one. like, wait a minute, you, you fucked me up for a minute. Ghost World. Ghost World, yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. She's Whoa. actually not bad. I think she's better in Ghost World than she is as she gets older in other things. Yeah, which I guess maybe that's just her getting more and more kind of... Uh, yeah, typecast and sort of put in spots, but like you know, because she's because I I think she's great in in the Marvel movies for what they give her. They never give her very much. She's yeah. probably the very best that she could be in uh, Winter Soldier. Oh, she was in Hail Caesar. She was actually a lot of fun in that. Oh, okay, That's the cool. Movie I see, I still about. need to see that because she she plays this like uh, Clara Bow May West type of broad, uh, you know, in the classic sense. Okay, all right. Yeah, I, I mean, and and that's the thing is, it's not. I don't know. It feels. I guess the thing is, is it feels to me like okay, well, they cast her because she's already good at doing the wooden thing. Yeah, and she's attractive, and she's and she's famous. Like, yeah, you know, we want we want to sell tickets. We're going to sell tickets by doing this. Um, but I feel. I I guess yeah. I guess that's the thing that the 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 cynicism of selling tickets to movies really it hurts on something like this where I, I feel like this story is so artistic and nuanced and thoughtful that yeah. if if you if you took it seriously like it, it would like it would translate into a better big budget indie flick as as counter as those two statements are but it would play better as that than trying to make it a blockbuster yeah, and when you watch it, like, it's, like, I love the, and, you know, both of us are big fans of just cyber, the cyberpunk aesthetic in general, so I'm always pleased to see it. Um, it's a very visually interesting, kind of dumb, um, the themes are there, it's like all the ingredients are there, but it just doesn't quite get to where you want it to. Right. It's not like this, this like cinematic abortion that people made it out to be, which is my favorite phrase lately. I keep saying it. I can't help it. <laughs> a late-term cinematic abortion. Oh, no, the, the problem is the, the, like you said, the cynicism of casting her because she sells tickets undercuts the fact that they could have just cast a person of a different race because it thematically fits to begin with. So it manufactured a controversy that, like, the story itself should automatically dismiss. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I'll, I'll see what I think of it and we'll talk about it on the next one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I just, it's, it, you know, I re, I, I, after you had talked about watching solo, I rewatched it. Okay. I actually enjoyed it more the second time around because I wasn't, let's give our scores real quick before we get into. Yeah. 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 Okay. Before we go on, on the tangent. Um, I, I gave this a nine. Okay. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I could have gone lower just from the fact that it wasn't as, I don't know, it didn't like hit me as hard as I wanted it to, 
but I also saw it for what it was and saw the ways that it had influenced almost everything else we watched. And it was it was beautifully done. I mean, the animation is incredible in this movie. Uh, other than the fact that the the dub was flat, um, I think the themes in the dialogue and everything are really cool. And all of the ideas were were well put together. And I and I was really satisfied with the ending being semi ambiguous, uh, because it do, it makes it makes me want to check out like the other the other uh, aspects of the franchise to see how this story expands and grows. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna give it a seven and a half. Specifically, the dub version. Uh, we'd have to go back and watch the other one to recalibrate. But I think it might just be one of those familiarity breeds contempt things with me for right. this at this point because I've seen it so many times. It's a lot easier to pick at it. Sure. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's it's not the movie's fault, but it's impossible to divorce yourself from the fact that everything has in popular culture has taken a piece out of this. Right. So it feels like. A, a picked over carcass at this point. Like I know it's yeah. a shitty way to put it. No, I mean I I totally get that because that's like I wasn't. I was never bored watching it, but I was definitely almost too aware of its. Yeah, I, it was basically that. It's like it, it was. It was like I was watching the movie that was sort of like the uh, like a butcher shop beef chart. Yeah. Like I saw everything. And then I was like, oh, that part's gone to here, and this part's over here, and you make that out of that. And, and yeah, there was something that became sort of surgical about it that yeah. didn't need to. It turns into the, what's that old adage, no matter how uh, beautiful a person is, there's somebody tired of fucking them. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. um, well, cool, anyway. yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean, this I, I enjoy this a lot. I'm, I'm excited that we're going to watch the, the live-action one, because I do yeah, want to yeah. see the contrast on that. Uh and, and, yeah, I mean, my, I don't know, my read on things is kind of like, most of these movies aren't as bad as they're made out to be, and I feel like this kind of like uh, pants on fire sort of style of media criticism that we're dealing with right now yeah. is, I don't know, I think it's, I think it's damaging our ability to just go and witness things and accept them for being whatever they are. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this on, or I talk about it a lot, because I'm the only, like, person of color, so I'm allowed, I've got a little bit more wiggle room on the other shows to talk about stuff, is we're at the point now where we can't judge the movie as the movie, like, the review of the movie is more of a review of the circumstance or the people in the movie right, than the or, movie itself, which yeah. is why I want more inclusion, the more inclusion we can, the possible, because then we can just talk about the fucking movie like it's a fucking movie and why they didn't cast person X. Right. Um... Yeah, I no, remember. I agree, because that's, I mean, at some point, at some point these are just, I don't know, like, it, 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 at some point we you either have to acknowledge that, look, this is this is a cynical business decision, it has nothing to do with any sort of ethic or emotionality or anything else, they're putting something out to put out a product, and if you don't like the product, that's fine, right? Yeah. Vote like, with your wallet. Uh, and, but the other side is, yeah, I mean, I... I I 100% agree. I think I think if everything was just all inclusive, then we would just be able to go, hey, you know, that person really wasn't very good in this movie. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Like, I uh, remember when um, uh, Ava DuVernay made that Wrinkle in Time movie, which I didn't see. We um, saw it. Did you see it? Did you like it? Eh. Yeah. I mean, part of, now the thing for me it had nothing to do with any of the people in it. It had to do with the fact that they made, a, a like, a two-hour movie or an hour and 40-minute movie out of a book that really 
could have been a trilogy in itself. Oh, so it's it's over compressed. Yeah, oh. I I, I we, Jenny and I came out of that movie, and I was like, you know what? I would have I think I would have been happier if that was a two and a half hour long movie, because they could have they could have actually taken a couple of moments to breathe. It jumps so quickly from uh, being bullied and being an outcast to these crazy worlds to uh, kidnapping and everything, and it's just like. It just all happened so fast. Nothing seemed like it was earned or even like there were any stakes. It was like a ride. Yeah. It's like, hey, I bought a ticket and people don't die when they go through this. So I'm sure whatever I see, it'll be fine. And that was really all it felt like. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. When um, when that movie came out, I remember the reviews were middling to bad, I'd say. But if you go back and read the text of a lot of the reviews, they're very dicey about being openly harshly critical of the movie and a lot of it you can tell just from the way it's aligned is that because you know it's it's rare for a a person of color especially a female to get like a big blockbuster movie it's almost like they're trying to ally so hard that like like disney gives a shit or whoever made it that you know, you're like, oh, it, we gotta, we can't talk that bad about it because maybe if if we review it too harshly, it'll lead to less opportunities for other people. Whereas, you know, maybe the movie's just bad. Sure, and I mean, and and in fairness, uh, that is how it works. Like, if you review movies badly, then those people don't get opportunities again. Yeah. Like, look at Catherine Bigelow. Right. Right. It takes like a decade or fifteen years between one good movie and <laughs> and the next yeah. one. And you gotta uh, fuck James Cameron at some point, which is uh, not good work for anybody. No. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's a tough thing because it's like I understand the idea of supporting diversity. Oh, God, how am I gonna say this where it doesn't sound like some kind of fucking Gamergate argument? Right. <laughs> but at what point do you sacrifice just like just critical thinking and honest opinions for that? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, this is this is like what we've talked about with The Last Jedi, too, where it's like they're they're reached a point where any criticism of the of the movie had to be filtered through this like incel bullshit that very specific groups of people, including like Russian hackers, had had put into the into the conversation when when the reality of it is it's like, hey, some of these scenes don't play. That whole section shouldn't have even been like the whole casino thing could have been not in the movie and it would have been a better movie, right? right? Like, there are these things that it's just like, you could change this and it has nothing to do with anything. It, it's it's bad storytelling. And that was my, that, that was my legit beef with the, with Wrinkle in Time, was just, I really love this story and I love everything that they're trying to do, but it's not succeeding because it's so smashed into this tiny box it's trying to it's trying to match a runtime that doesn't that doesn't go with this. Like this is a sweeping, deep, time traveling, world, you know, universe scope kind of thing. And it and it deserved that much time, right? And they probably made it short for budget reasons too. Like, oh well, we don't know. We'll see how this does. Yeah. Parents don't take their kids to two and a half hour long movies unless there's something else. Yeah, I don't I'm not I'm gonna um go out on a limb here and say that 
the majority of the people that run Hollywood studios are not like dyed in the wool white supremacists, like racists in the classic sense, like you think of. Sure. It's a cynical business, and there's like inherent structural racism to the idea that, you know, we got to cast a white male in this because that plays better in Wisconsin and shit like that. But it's all just like cynical, gross capitalism, which is almost worse. Oh, yeah, no, because it's, it's the same at thing least, as like. What, what's that line from the Big Lebowski? Like, say what you will about the tenets of national socialism. At least it's an ethos. Yeah, at least it's <laughs> at least you at least you care about things. Right. Yeah. I I mean that's the thing. It's it Hollywood Hollywood is is similar to like hedge funds and things like that, right? Like hedge fund owners aren't probably going around. I mean, maybe they are, but probably aren't going around buying up local newspapers and intentionally destroying them. But what they're doing is going. We can buy this because it's cheap. And by firing these 90 people, we can get this thing to make money, and we want more money, right? right? Uh, or, you know, we, we're going to – or a developer going into a depressed neighborhood of color and building a bunch of luxury condos and ushering in gentrification. Like, they're not doing it because they want to kick people out so much as they don't care about people. They're just right. caring about money. This is a so place we, to live now. Yeah. So even though it's the same result, we end up fighting the battle on the wrong front, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, the, the answer is to tear down capitalism. Yeah, the answer <laughs> is to dismantle the fucking government. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, allegedly. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, it's gross. Like, the, that kind of, like... When you get to capital, I don't think the system of capitalism itself is a terrible idea. Um, you know, the idea of being paid fairly for your work and bootstraps and all that, you know, American shit from the 50s. Like, oh, sure. I'm, I'm with that. But this kind of like mega tyrant capitalism is worse than any other kind of like systemic issue we have in this country. That's like the part we should be trying to figure out. Oh, yeah. Versus well, screaming at each other on Tumblr about fucking film reviews. Yeah, I mean the di- the difference now is is and you know it was it was a little better in the fifties because of the way that the taxes were structured and everything, so that some of that wealth was dis- was redistributed. Um, but I mean the main thing is, look, uh, capitalism is a great idea if it's you and me in a town, and I grow corn and you grow wheat, and we trade because my corn and your wheat are of equal value, and we both need it. Yeah, we both get rewarded for our work in something that that matters. What we have now is a weird situation where five companies own everything. Well, that's it's funny you said five because I was gonna we we're talking about newspapers. I'm sure you know because you're more entrenched in this that like I think it was like 30 years ago, the, the we'll call it the majority of like news media was owned by 60 different companies, and now I think it is five. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and what you get is is then you know Comcast owns so much stuff. As an entity between NBC and Universal and uh, GE and all this other shit, they own all this stuff. And then what they get to do is instead of saying like, hey, we make – we grow corn and you grow wheat, they go, hey, we grow corn. Wheat's only worth like one-tenth of a corn because we own everything. So we set the market. And then what they do is they devalue everybody else's effort. Uh, you know, which that that doesn't mean that we need to go whole hog socialist in response, but it does mean we need to say like, hey, maybe these guys need checking. Well, what happened to and this is uh, I think we're going to get into a weird territory on this podcast about this robot. Right. But 
Like, what happened to antitrust laws? Like, that was supposed to be the thing that prevented all this shit from happening. Right, and and yeah, and, and instead what we just talked about is Disney bought Fox. Yeah. Which seems like a real trust issue. Yeah, <laughs> right? I, I, you can go back and I'm like, definitely I was against this from the beginning. Because, like, the more competition with anything, the better. You don't want... Like, no matter... If you're going to get a better Fantastic Four movie than those Fox movies, I like the idea that there's another company that's allowed to do things. Right. Well, because it it is. It's a matter of, like, if there aren't a lot of people playing, there's nobody keeping each other honest. Eventually, you're just like, well, hey, we we have all the properties, so we'll decide what gets created and what doesn't. I mean, it also closes off entry points for for new ideas. I mean, we're we're in the thick of it now in, in film and television where, I mean... Television's better, but film, for the most part, is just redos of all of the things that have already existed. Yeah. Which means there are a bunch of original ideas for, like, two generations of people that are going completely unhonored or unexplored. Yeah. Which means we're we're navel-gazing to a—I mean, this is the problem, right? And, and yeah, okay, we, we're in weird territory, but I gotta, <laughs> I gotta finish this. No, but no, no. We, we've got to this point now where if we're gonna look— I mean, basically, like, society is turning into Ready Player One in the effect that we're becoming enamored with the things that we used to be enamored with. And by just continuing to recycle all these same ideas over and over again, we curb the ability for art to critique society, which is the purpose of art. Like, there should be more movies like First Reformed that are out all the time, and they should be getting broader consumption. I mean, that was sort of the yeah. cool thing about the 70s. Now, granted, it was a very white, misogynistic version of that, but the 70s at least was this ground where it was like cinema was really looking at society and saying, what the fuck, for the first time. And then by the time we get to the 2000s, cinema's back to being basically the 1930s and 40s, where instead of cowboy movies, we just have superhero movies. Yeah, that that but, pay passing interest in critique, but don't actually do it. Yeah, and I think the the broader consumption thing is the key part of it because we are like now in kind of a mid budget to low budget renaissance where we're getting a lot of movies like you and I really enjoy. Yeah, um, but they're not. You got to look for them, which is. Which is good because it makes you an elitist hipster asshole, but it's bad at the same time because I want people to see a lot of varied things so they have different opinions. Like you said, like if, if you want to say that you know the purpose of art is to critique society, society needs to be able to engage with it. Right. Yeah. And not just the other dickhead artists. What's that Henry Rollins bit where he's talking about poetry slam nights or there's no audience, it's just poems accusing the other dickhead poems of ripping off the first person's poem? Right. Like, you don't want to turn the entirety of art into a circle jerk, which, I mean, it has a tendency to go to anyway because I, people have a tendency to be around other people that they feel share that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Well, and it, and it, and it is – it's sort of a – it's a self-isolating slash self-reinforcing sort of thing. Like, because uh, what I notice, especially with writing, is, you know, sometimes I, I speak to people who are in a more academic writing circle – and I find that they're like very closed off to some of the stuff that I might produce because they're they're looking for they're looking for their specific like we're looking for this to happen yeah. because this is what academic writing is doing now. And it's like okay, that's great, 
but when you you see when you see that you're also like you're you're sort of resisting pop culture and resisting maybe the the harshness of just pure capitalism, right? Because art's supposed to be the the inverse. Uh, but you're also creating your own silo in which you're not allowing art to flourish freely. I don't know. That's getting too long. Yeah, I don't I don't spend a lot of time with academics, thankfully. But yeah, I, I yeah. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you though. I mean, it would be it would be nice for, and I mean, it, you know, because the 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 awards circuit, I think, pays a lot of lip service to to the need for that sort of artistic engagement. That you know, at least it put it like nominates something like First Reform for an award. Yeah. Uh, but you know, but at the same time, it's gonna. I mean, I I feel like. Um, I feel like Green Book is like one of the worst movies that could be nominated for anything. I've never seen it. I haven't seen it either. But it's, it's like it's like a white apology movie, right? Well, yeah. I mean, my my sense of it is that it's like a very boomer friendly <laughs> movie about race, yeah. saying like, "Hey, it was worse before." Yeah. Well, so they love better. that shit. They better love crash. Things. And it's just yeah. like, okay, that's that's dumb. We've done this for one. <laughs> I think there's a good chance Black Panther wins uh, Best Picture, which I would not agree with. Well, I, yeah, because I, I heard your I heard your your oh. uh, statements about it on the other show, and I don't disagree. Like I don't I, I maybe I like... should have found a gentler way. Um, and you know me, I'm usually a very gentle, thoughtful man. Uh, to use the phrase, it's like the fifth best black movie that came out this year, right? But. I do feel that way. <laughs> like, well, I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, uh, you know, uh, sorry to bother you is a better movie. Yeah. It's more, I mean, it's, it's way more interesting. It, it, it is a bigger swing. Yeah. It's um, certainly ambitious and art, artful and like raw and just rugged, like all the shit we like. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a certain, uh, yeah, there's a there's a different kind of authenticity to it, I guess. Right, uh, yeah, I, and, and, and even think, honestly, like Get Out is a better movie. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know if I talked about it on the show, but the the middle of the movie about super uh, fucking diaspora and the superhero universe that that movie is what I want to see. Right, but because you know, I almost really used a, a poor turn of phrase because he has to because Ryan Coogler has to report to people uh, in a corporation. Sure. They have to turn it into a product that they recognize as the product that they make. So the end of that movie becomes one hundred percent that, and I'm just not interested at that point. It's yeah, still no, I... good for that sort of thing, but like the letdown from what the what I think he what I I think he wants the movie to be about mm-hmm. versus what it turns into is so jarring that like it just I I don't I don't care for. I don't want to say it's a good movie. It's yeah. fun. No, it is. Um, it's, it's it's a good fun movie. I mean, it 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 definitely it's, it's, it definitely deserves accolades for for what it means. It's it's a door opening kind of thing, yeah. and that's and that's the power of it. But I agree with you that you know the movie the movie for the first two thirds to three quarters is this very interesting different path, kind of compelling meditation on race in America and then it does just become a movie about two guys fighting again. Yeah. And that's, and that's okay. Except the fight doesn't, 
culminate in some sort of new understanding. Now, maybe in a sequel, if Killmonger comes back, that changes some of this. Yeah. I don't know. But how much um, better would that movie be? I don't know if it pitches to you. I think I've talked about it before. But, you know, the movie turns out that that causes the schism, that causes the Civil War, right? And Captain America being the guy that loves America sides with Killmonger. You know, he's another soldier. And he's standing on top of a cop car in Detroit fighting like the fucking government forces coming to try to put them down. And then you put like this super African techno nation of Wakanda in a really weird situation where do they help defend the status quo? Or do they actually go back and help the people that needed the help to begin with? Like, I feel like that's a movie that has something to say. Yeah, that would be, I mean, that that would be great. That would have, that would have been a, a tour de force kind of movie. Yeah, and then it's like, I, but it would put everybody in too much, like, s- fucking, like, societal money jeopardy. Because, you know, if you've got to make all these characters in your superhero movie decide where they stand on this idea of, you know, fucking race you know, relations vis-a-vis the government, vis-a-vis superheroing, it's going to put everybody in a weird light. And I don't know if they want Tony Stark to come out as, like, the being on the side of, you know, the white status quo. Right. I mean, even though that's what he is. Right. And even of. though, like, I mean, you know, if you if you wrote it carefully enough, it would have its merit. Like, there's always merit in keeping the status quo because it's the... You know, again, your your train car argument. Like, if 51% of the people in your country don't starve to death and have a decent life or whatever, and 49% are living terribly, did you still do your job? Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> maybe, but maybe. What What if, you I mean, know, it, de- it depends on what the actual external conditions are. Right. Right? <laughs> I mean, I think I think in in that parlance, when you apply it to the United States, it's a big no because it's like, well, no. of those because we have the ability to do better. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, of the of the fifty one percent, one percent of those people have so much stuff that they don't even need that they will never need. But it's it's so weird. It becomes a really interesting conversation when you put a number on it. Like, okay, what what number do we accept? What becomes acceptable loss? Like right. the collateral damage, like 3% of the population is impoverished. Like, can we live with that? Is it five? Is it two? Like, what is it? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, man, that would uh, that would have been such an interesting way to kick off. Civil War would have been a way better movie if that was the, the way it broke down, too. Yeah, and I still enjoyed Civil War. Like, I enjoyed most of those movies, but sure. like... Yeah. Just like, just take a switch. They're at the point now where they could make that movie and it would still make a billion dollars. Yeah, and and there'd just be a bunch of you know you'd you'd probably have a Last Jedi style issue. Oh bunch, yeah, a bunch of people would flip out and be assholes about it. For Mate, there, there, there is zero chance that like anybody that made one of these like hyper reactionary Last Jedi Star Wars is over uh, killing the franchise is not going to go see Episode Nine. Oh yeah, no, zero, they're all zero chance. Every person who said I'm never watching another Star Wars movie is gonna go. Yeah, like it's nonsense. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck were we even talking about? I know this. Was oh, you good. saw Solo again? Everybody, everybody gets to enjoy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I rewatched Solo. I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it more this second time around. I think primarily because, uh, you know, I, I first time I saw it in the theater, I had expectations. And I was kind of scrutinizing it as I watched it, and this time I just sort of let it happen, and I did. I did. I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I mean, it's also not good, but it's not bad. 
I don't know. I've, I still feel kind of the same way. But it's just sort of that uh, – it, it comes back to the cynicism of Hollywood and everything. Yeah, it's, it's a product. Yeah. yeah. It is. It, it, it. You said it very well. It is just sort of a product. It's just a movie that, that you know, uh, it, it is as much a ride as any other. It's as much a, a ride as A Wrinkle in Time was. It's like, but it, but it doesn't even, it doesn't even seem to have aspirations to anything. Because I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, it, it was fine. <laughs> it, it should have been I love how you started with like and I liked it better and then 30 seconds into describing it you've already talked yourself out of liking yeah. it again <laughs> I think it's just uh, it, it's a good it's a good movie if you if you put it on and then you do other things while it's on okay it's great for that because every every time you look up there's something cool going on but yeah. you don't have to bother yourself with too much of the the, the depth of anything. Yeah, like paying uh. attention or exploring the theme. Right. Like... <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> so next week, live action Ghost in the Shell. Yes. And I, I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm excited to see this because, yeah, yeah uh, knowing that there's some, some additions and a little more depth to uh, 2501, like, I'm into that. Yeah, and like the only really controversial thing is when they re uh what do you call it? When they animated Bill Bojangles Robinson and Blackface tap dancing across the screen for forty five minutes. Like I thought they probably could have skipped that. <laughs> but other than that, I'd say that the controversy was a little bit overflowed. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, I love it. Alright. <sighs> and I love you. And I love you. And I will talk to you soon. Great. Yeah, I can't wait for us to put out this uh, very uh, deeply philosophical and politically scientific episode of our anime podcast. I enjoyed it. (laughs) All right. Yeah, and I'll give you a call either later today or sometime soon. We'll talk about the other thing that we were talking about yesterday. Cool. Perfect. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, And Oh, do we want to plug stuff? We should plug stuff. What's coming out from Space Boy? Oh, yeah, we've got uh, – we have a book by Marie Hoalt called We Lost the Sky that will release on February 28th. It's already getting some positive reviews from readers. Uh, we also have uh, O'Brien Gunn's Furies Thus Spoke, which is a gritty uh, sort of socially uh, conscious and noir superhero story uh, that comes out in uh, April, late March. Something like that. Um, and Smarch. Smarch. Lousy Smarch weather. Great Smarch releases. Do not uh, touch Willie. <laughs> good advice. <laughs> uh, and then uh, and then we've got a couple other things that are in the in the pipeline at the moment, but we also have Pam Jones's Ivy Day, which just got a review uh, yesterday from Forward Indie Reviews that was shining and stellar. Yeah, because uh, Pam is so good, I just want to throw her off a building. Yeah, I know. I feel the same way. <laughs> It's like, wow, so somebody just took all the branches of the talent tree and smacked you with them and burned them all afterwards. So, let me let me ask you a question and feel free to be dishonest if you have to. <laughs> um, when you edited that book, what is the amount of time you spent doing editing besides the actual reading of it? Like if you take out the part where you just had to read the entire book, mm-hmm. like how much actual editing did you have to do in minutes? I feel like 25 to 35 <laughs> I mean it was it, it was literally like oh there should be an is here. Yeah. Like she she's she's great. I it, I feel like she writes the way that I write which and maybe maybe she doesn't but I I tend yeah. to like line edit myself as I go. 
Yeah. And she's very, it's just so precise. Like she definitely, she, yeah, it, it was, yeah. it was such an easy thing and, and reading it was such a, was such a pleasure. Um, yeah. They're all, all, all these books coming out this year are fantastic. I'm really excited about it and they're all, you know, they're all reviewing well and getting good buzz already. So yeah. Yeah. So, so check out Space Boy Books. It's readspaceboy.com. Uh, Space Boy Books. We almost made money this year. We did. We almost made money. <laughs> We almost didn't lose money this year, uh, and uh, yeah. If if you guys want, you can check out my other podcast. It's called A Vague Idea. You can find it on Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, or at avagueidea.simplecast.fm. Is that? Are there any more dots, or was that all of it? That's all the dots. Um, <laughs> and yeah, word. sometime. So uh, yeah, and this yeah. Anyway. Uh, I would like to, uh, if I can figure out a time to come out to visit you, yes. maybe we could do an episode with the movie The Podcast Guys. Ooh, that'd be fun. Because I think that would be a blast, and I could do kind of an all-movie-themed thing. Oh, yeah, Just for play sure. the game. Well, uh, I'm finally going to come out there this year. I know I've been coming out there for the last three years, and everything always seems to happen, but... I'll be out there later this year too, so we can. Oh, cool! Yeah, well, I, yeah, well, you know, you, we got couch room if you want to <laughs> sleep on a couch. And Ooh. Uh, do I get a dog? You, you can, you can have both dogs. Oh shit! Yeah, they will <laughs> definitely snuggle you. <laughs> um, yeah, I was trying. Oh yeah, uh, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this on the show since I, we're still recording. I assume. Um, I, I, my. My Nate suggestion for movie the podcast is to do uh, Maiden Christensen for May. Yeah, <laughs> well, you mentioned Christ- that movies. I'm trying to think of what he's been in besides the prequels. I know we've been trying to do the prequels for some reason, but like, what is it like? Shattered Glass. Yeah, there's not- Shattered Glass, and then I mean, granted, like I just listened to this movie on how did the, how did this get made? But there's a movie called Little Italy that came out last fall with him and Emma Roberts. Ooh, and it's it sounds awful. <laughs> So I don't know. But yeah, Shattered Glass, a prequel movie. It, it may be a terrible idea, too. No, but that's good. Give us oh, more to talk what, about. what was that? Was he in, like, Jumper or something? Wasn't there, like, a... He was in Jumper. Yeah. Yeah, not in Push, which is the Chris Evans version of Jumper, I think. I think that's, those movies came out in the same day, possibly at the same time. That's the novel by Sapphire that... Yeah. <laughs> Precious, starring Chris Evans. <laughs> It's like, hey man, we got we got to make it a four quadrant movie, and if it's gonna be about the struggles of a obese young black girl, who better than Chris Evans? He's got that, you know, he's got that open like ability, but he's still a yeah. hunk. You could picture him as a as a, a fat black girl in De- Chicago. Where does that take place? I don't want to sound racist. It's oh, somewhere. I don't know. I don't. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so give that some thought. Give that terrible right. idea some thought, and uh, yeah. We'll uh, we'll we'll talk. Uh, we'll t- we'll have a show again next week about we live action Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, or Ghost in the Jar, which I almost said when uh, we started the show. Aw, I almost said welcome to fun little we, fun we little Rick and Morty parasite. Ghost in the Jar. <laughs> we uh, we, I, I, my game night last night. We played Rick and Morty Munchkin. Have you ever played okay. Munchkin? Nah, I know it's. It, I've got a buddy that's really into tabletop board games, and I sent him this, I think it was a Hard Times article, where it was like, uh, explanation of board game rules takes longer than the actual board game. Oh, yeah. Or like the, or, no, 
One of them, oh, there's two of them. One of them was a uh, rule set to World War II board game more complicated than actual reasons for World War II. <laughs> and the other one uh, was explanation of board game uh, goes into fifth consecutive night. Nice. Yeah, that's that's yeah. pretty accurate. We've had a couple of nights where we spend the first three hours trying to figure out how to play it, and then we're finally like, oh, it's it's 11 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the uh, Munchkin's just like a and d esque like, funny card game where you just go from room to room fighting monsters until you get to the end. It's like 10, right. 10 different rooms. But there's a Rick and Morty version of it that, that my buddy has, and it is, it's hilarious because each of the, I mean, you play as one of the Rick and Morty characters, so like last night I was Mr. Poopy Butthole. <laughs> uh, but like a lot of the cards have you sort of, I mean, they're all Rick and Morty related things, but they also take they take on, like, the situation in the actual real-life room. So, okay. like, some card will say, oh, you get plus three if you're playing this on a wooden table. Or, uh, these monsters are minus four to you if you're wearing shorts. Like, it's just, it's it's great. Because it's quirky, and it captures, I think it captures the spirit of the of the show. So, okay. anyway. <laughs> this has been great. We've talked yeah. about uh, race and uh, capitalism and... <laughs> Board games and board games and how you like and immediately dislike solo. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll, I'm interested to hear what your opinion is on it next week. <laughs> as you're locked in this fucking endless cycle of rewatching Solo to decide whether or not you like it. Yeah, I mean, if you just if you just write Solo after itself, it just is an endless thing of solos. Solo, yeah, solo. Welcome to, to the Solo Boris. <laughs> Okay, that's a good joke to end up. All right. All right. <laughs> B- bye, buddy. Bye. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right, bye. Bye. Bye.